G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast Summer Edition and uh, another uh, week of interesting weather in Melbourne town. Plenty to talk about today, not just football, not just sport, but uh, life, music, movies, entertainment, you name it, we talk about it, go off on a fair bit of uh, tangenting. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? I'm well. Looking forward to being tangentile, I guess. Tangential? Well. Or gentile. Tangentile. Yeah. There's a pun in there. Well, no, it's not. you're the gentile. <laughs> no, I, I was getting my... Uh, yeah. Anyway, go on. I've got to say that I'm ready for some footy. You were right. You predicted this. This very disjointed and almost confusing summer of cricket, the calendar has not satiated my need for sport. And I I don't trust it. Well, Australian Open... I just got into the India-Australia series. That's over. Yeah, well... I don't even know what the next bus stop is. I'll touch on that later. Australian Open, of course, getting underway. Yeah. I I can, you know... Is that one of those ones you have to pretend you're interested in? Well, I live very close to it now, so... Interestingly, there's been a few tennis players sort of walking around in front of my house. I think trying to qualify, <laughs> not to come into my place. But the reality is, the men's is sort of decided. The women's is interesting. You know, Djokovic has won it seven times. It, it, it's not going to come from outside Djokovic and Nadal, really, is it? Uh, oh, you're probably talking to the wrong person, to be perfectly honest. My interest will. Uh, pick up accordingly, I think, uh, like a lot of people. It's one yep. of those events where the... Uh, it's an event. Yes, perhaps sometimes the event is bigger than the actual sport contained. We're in, I'll tell you what always retains my interest, though, Mark Fine, and that's a big, juicy hamburger. Yeah, Andrew's hamburgers. We've had very inconsistent weather. We've had inconsistent cricket fixturing. We've even had inconsistent form from the likes of the Renegades but nothing inconsistent about Andrew's hamburgers in their 81st year. And I believe uh, the uh, the boys have been on holiday, uh, Christmas, New Year break, but I believe uh, back on deck today. So pop down to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, for the best hamburger in town, juicy meat patties, beautiful, sumptuous, firm, but... Uh, You're a bun man. Buns, yes. uh, lettuce, tomato, dripping with freshness. Let, Eddie, let Ed, us let us praise them. Uh, they are beautiful. Andrews Hamburgers, a long-time sponsor here of the Footyology podcast, as of course is... Nick's Partell and Hardwick Build Co. And we know that putting value onto your house is best done, especially in the inner city area now where property is so hotly contested by a great renovation making the most of what you've got in terms of land is best done by contacting Spartels and Hardwick Build Company. 
Oh, you didn't say it like normal. Nick Spartels and yeah. Harwick Bill Co. When you didn't say the Co, it threw me off. But they are great sponsors of ours. Please support them and continue, of course, supporting this podcast. We're going to get stuck straight into it. Let's go. On Footyology Newsfeed. Rightio, well, uh, obviously still no pre-season football games to talk about, but uh, plenty of news around, and I guess the biggest news of the past week, uh, a contract story, and we do tend to our eyes glaze over a little bit with these sometimes, but this is a pretty significant one, and it is, of course, the signing of champion Collingwood Ruckman Brody Grundy on a long-term deal. Seven years he has been locked in for, He's 25 now, so that'll take him up to the age of 32. So you'd say uh, that is definitely a career contract on the uh, fairly juicy sum of $1 million a year, obviously putting him up in the upper echelon of AFL player payments. Uh, It was due to become a a free agent at the end of 2020, so the Pies will be pretty happy to tie him up. Of course, the South Australian origins probably gave them more cause for concern. Ruckman... Obviously, at a premium, 25 is at the the peak of his powers. Um, Probably an interesting side note to it is the ramifications for Collingwood's contractual or salary cap status uh, coming towards the end of this year when, for example, uh, two major players in the shape of Jordan Dugowie and Darcy Moore will be coming out of contract. Your thoughts, Finey? First of all, there's been... uh fair bit of discussion in chat rooms amongst fans and also at a professional level amongst footy journos as to whether or not the seven-year deal for Brodie Grundy is great for the player or for club or for both. In other words, was it the right move for Collingwood to commit long-term to somebody that has, even though he's only 25, so 32 is is in terms of years not ridiculous for a ruckman at all, but he has been really doing all that ruck work on his own. He's copped a battering already uh, for five or five, four or five years already. He's really put his body on the line. Was that Mason Cox? As I said, he's really put his body on the line for the last four or five years. And so the speculation is maybe Collingwood forced, their hand forced by the South Australian connection, overcommitted seven years. We'll find that out in maybe six or seven years' time. They did exactly the right thing. They tied up their key player, really a a driving force behind their success, I think, in the last couple of years. He's he's key to their their claims to a premiership. And believe me, Collingwood fans would be far more concerned if it was zero years and seven for Adelaide or Port Adelaide. It it is a major punt, though, isn't it? Uh, Tipping that a guy who's going to be 32 in seven years' time, albeit Ruckman, I guess Ruckman have tended to hang around into their early 30s, but just, you know, like banking on a guy holding his form, remaining, yeah. uh, you know, career-threatening injury-free for that length of time, it is a sizable gamble. It's I find it funny how, you know, back, I guess you're going back 15 years now, but after Essendon's disaster with the likes of Mark McCurry, or he was sort of the poster boy for the... Um, the, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The ill-advisedness of long-term contracts. But now it's sort of swung completely full circle. Obviously, GWS and Gold Coast and, 
new teams and godfather offers have put a different spin on it. But I, I there is a sizable risk about it, I reckon. And what about the Dugowie? I mean, what if it does end up costing them Dugowie or more? First of all, the the ability to sort of back end, front end contracts, you seem to be able to get the job done. I don't think it'll cost them either Dugowie or more. There might be a, a mid rung player or some older players forced to retire a little bit earlier at the end of the year as a result of this contract. I I, I think Collingwood will get the job done. They'll get keep the players that they want. But yeah, it is a risk. The fact is obviously Brody and his management were asking for seven years. They had some leverage with that pull back to South Australia and the fact that both of those clubs would love to have Brody Grundy play for them, especially Adelaide, you know, looking to rebuild and rebrand themselves. To do that on the back of assigning a Brody Grundy would have been huge. This has put that to bed. Well done, Collingwood. And a million dollars a year doesn't seem too much for me because in three or four years' time, surely that will not be top-end wage. Uh, well, who knows which way wages are going to go. There's a lot of ifs and buts about that. Oh, just moving on, though, um, do we have this year's uh, subject of the will-he-won't-he he, uh, speculation about him leaving a club. Uh, figure in uh, Jeremy Cameron yeah. of GWS? He made himself the saga man. Pretty early for a, a, saga, uh, a saga of the year uh, nominee. It is, but he... Given all indications, hadn't GWS and Cameron himself given indications that it was a fait accompli and he was signing, you know, it was going to be something he would do in between tequila, what, not tequilas, um, cocktails at, you know, on his holiday? Yeah. I, I, I thought this was all going to be done and dusted. GWS, ebullient with the re-signing of Canilio really upbeat about their future having made the grand final. And so Cameron, what has actually been said that has thrown the cat among not, the pigeons? He has simply said that he's in no rush to sign and... Do we read too much into that? You've got to read something into it. He's, it means he's banging the drum for more money. Yeah, but that's okay, isn't it? I mean, does that... I mean, yeah, no, it's obviously a negotiating tactic, but if someone starts... It's not selfless. No, but no, no. But if someone's banging the drum for more money, do we automatically assume that means they, they want to go somewhere else? Or No, look, I think he's read the tea leaves. He's When he started at the club, there was uh, Patton and Boyd and Cameron. You know, they were full of forwards, weren't they? Yeah. And now, really, he is the only... Key for, he is, oh, no, you've got Finlayson yeah, and Himmelberg. He's the key forward. He's the main yeah, man. Yeah, oh, he's, he's the man, main man, no doubt about that. So, but he, wasn't he the main man five years ago when he was All-Australian? He was always seemingly the most likely, but they still drafted. They had two number one draft yeah, picks yeah, that were, yeah. were nominally key forwards. Yeah. So he survived them, and I think he now, his management probably says, you know what, this is your big contract. Yeah. This is the big one. Don't go, you know, doing the heroic thing and just signing at the first yeah at the first offering. I, look, There's no hurry. I, I just hope that if if he is to become this year's appointed saga man, that uh, you know, <laughs> this is this is a hope in vain. But that we don't sort of read way too much into every public utterance. Get every single teammate every time they're interviewed to ask what they think about his future. You're dreaming. That's what it's all about. Oh uh, yeah. Um, 
All right, that's enough on immediate news. Now, last week we kicked off our uh, previews of um, three clubs seasons. Who did we look at last week? Bulldogs, Adelaide, um, Adelaide and Geelong. Yep. So uh, we're not going to necessarily do this alphabetically. I'm sort of basically choosing one side from each six-team tier in terms of alphabetical now, I wondered, order. Now, I wondered what your... Yeah, no, well, that was it. Uh, you know why? Because... Moses Operandi Well, was. I chose the first three at random, and they each fell into that bracket, so okay. I thought we'll keep it going. Good. So we spoke about Brady Grundy. Let's make this a, a Collingwood feast. Um, let's talk about the pies. So for mine, I've uh, got to be uh, banging on the door again. It's been, you know, it's almost going to be a case of third time lucky they'd be hoping I mean they were a kick away from a premiership last year they were a kick away from a grand final spot Um, they're obviously very very close to the mark Uh, what have they done player wise well it's been I I guess they've um, trimmed a bit of the fat so to speak with you know without disrespecting the following players but uh, Tyson Goldsack Daniel Wells James Aish he's off to Frio Ben Crocker delisted, picked up by Adelaide. Lyndon Dunn retired. Goldsack and Wells retired. Their only in of consequence beyond the draft is uh, former Sydney ruckman Darcy Cameron, who obviously is just back up to the guy we were talking about before. He must be wrapped with the seven-year deal. <clears throat> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so where, where do you see the Pies in 2020? Look, they sort of claimed last year was Anis Horribilis with injuries and... You know, we had the Stevenson affair, the gambling, and things never... They they always, to use racing parlance, were always on the wrong leg. Aren't they always? I mean, I thought they were like that in 2018 <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was going to say. Oh, isn't that when they go their best? Yeah. Isn't it, when, isn't it when things are not... You know, they've got to throw players around. Seemingly when they get comfortable, that's when the problems set in. So I don't know really whether that could be used as... An excuse. Nevertheless, they rallied well towards the end of the season, didn't they? Yeah. And the loss in the preliminary final was a surprise. Where where they have a clear deficiency is with that second tall forward. The the the. I'd say first tall forward. Well, I, I look. I'm a big fan of my check. Oh I, yeah, no, I, so am I. So am I. I think but... he's done a really good job. But I reckon there is there just is starting to become a little concern about him against the absolute top notch opposition, I think. I think I think that's fair enough because they don't he should really be the sort of forward that takes a second or third defender. Yeah. But if he's gonna draw the number one defender, yeah, there will be question marks. Their their defence stood up pretty well last year, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. And they they're gonna retain Lyndon Dunn? No, he's retired. No, I think, but there's a chance that they're going to take him on that. Oh, that crazy late pickup of players that. Teams oh, is that do. right? Yeah, oh, Lyndon Dunn to Collingwood, okay. Minchington to Hawthorne. Yep, a bit of backup there, but look, Darcy Moore, he in the end he shunned, didn't he? It's he's an interesting player, Darcy Moore. He much much like Collingwood, he seems to do best when faced with adversity. Yeah. I feel, I feel, you know, you give him a full 22 games in the season, he loses concentration. But, you well, know. he hasn't proved very durable, no, so that's no, probably the biggest concern with him. He makes hay while the sun shines. When he comes back and he's fit, he seems to play very well. Um, that forward line can be mighty dangerous despite 
the lack of tall timber because we know Dego is good. He, he petered out a bit last year. Stevenson's a pacey customer. He'll have a, f- a, a full season this year. Yeah, plus you've got Elliot and Josh Thomas who who's really emerged as a small yeah. forward. And that's why they might be able to get away without you know, a, a sort of champion key forward like, say, Rewalt or Lynch at, at Richmond because those in-betweeners are so good and there's so many of them. I mean, the midfield has been their strength, but I, I was very bullish about the Bulldogs last week. Yeah. And I feel that that midfield's ready to sort of either equal or even eclipse Collingwood's midfield. Yeah, I, I do too. I, you look at midfields and I'm... Um, there's you know four obvious names that stand out: Pendlebury, Sidebottom, Trelaw, and Adams. I'm starting to wonder if, in terms of uh, numerically, whether they have enough guys to go through that that um, centre uh, uh, centre bounce rotation beyond those first four. So there may be a bit of a, a midfield depth issue there. But look, I mean we're we're you know we're sort of being picky here. I think overall. They measure up pretty well. You know, they're still, um, they're not an old list, but they are a, a very experienced list now. So for me, definitely still in the window. Um, top four for me. Yeah, I think top four, top four if they put their best foot forward. They re- they need to play well to make the top four. They're, they're, unlike a, a, a Richmond who can have some variations in form, I think, and still will finish top four. Collingwood need to be, at their best to make the to make the top four. All right, let's move on. I don't know why I'm thinking this, but from the sublime to the ridiculous, and ridiculous is probably the word to describe Melbourne's amazing fall from grace last year, from preliminary finalist to 17th on the ladder with just five wins. It was a remarkable decline, one of the most staggering I think we've seen in uh, numerical terms, certainly up there with, say, Frio, what happened to them between 2015 and and 16. Just an unmitigated disaster their whole year. A whole lot of players coming back underdone because of surgery or just probably getting um, heads like boarding house puddings, as Tim Watson once famously said when he was coaching St Kilda. A few guys got ahead of themselves Personnel, so how do they get out of it, personnel-wise? I like their two ins in terms of senior experience, Adam Tomlinson and Ed Langdon. I particularly dislike <clears throat> both those ins at their stated position. Okay, well, allow me to say why I like them first, and you can say why you don't like them. Uh, I think they're both... Tomlinson, uh, I think... They're both being s- slated for wing positions. I think that's a good idea. I think Melbourne's... Easily their biggest weakness. They're a very good inside team, but they're chronically slow uh, on the outside and not a great uh, usage team. That was backed up by a couple of stats. One, that they finished still, despite their ladder position, finished fifth for inside 50 entries last year. It was second last for points scored and last below even Gold Coast for scores per inside 50. So something... No problems winning the ball, huge problems getting the ball on the outside and using it efficiently. So I think those two will very much help with that. What's your issue with them? I don't understand. Tomlinson's a self-nominated wingman, very excited to play on the wing. He was brutally exposed during the final series, poor in the grand final, and almost cost GWS in the preliminary final. 
when they were seemingly totally in control of the preliminary final. It was his turnovers in the last quarter that gave Collingwood a sniff. And he shows no indication whatsoever to be a wingman, a good ball user. There's none of that in his resume, in his exposed form. Langdon is a hard worker, a runner, but a bit of a ball slaughterer, to be honest. So they're hardly solutions to the problems at hand. And the main problem at hand for Melbourne, look, people looked at Melbourne and try, many people, most people have said it was an aberration and you know they can bounce back. And I think the aberration was the year before. Certainly based on their lack of urgency in trying to replace the clear loss of Hogan. Now, I know he, he had his travails down here, but he was a great target for them. And their forward line is not right. And if they think Wiedemann is just going to turn around this year and be what he hasn't been, they're kidding themselves. No, well, that, that my, my other big if here was the forward line. and It's a huge two, if. Well, two players have to lift. He's one of them. Um, both he and Tom McDonald did have their injuries last year. Is not, McDonald not the classic case of a player who flourished as a forward getting the second or third backman and floundered? Uh, I, I, I think he's better than that. And and look, I mean, it's just a hunch, but I, I suspect he will return strongly from that poor season. Wiedemann's the interesting one because he did really show something in that 2018 final series, but uh, showed none of that last year. So they are absolutely critical. Those two have to stand up. I think they need, um, in 2018, they also got a lot more from those guys who rotated through the midfield and played as forward goal kickers. And a lot of them had injury issues last year, like Jake Milksham's a really good example of that. So there's, I'm, I'm certainly not taking it as a given that they are going to bounce back hard. I reckon if you're looking to invest some punting dollars, though, that'd be a, a reasonable sort of bet to go a lot better than five wins and seven eighth. Well, they surely can do better than five wins, but I don't see them making the eight because I don't think they've addressed their main problems. One thing I would say, uh, Petrarca, I had a close look at him last year. He, he had did, a pretty he, good season. He was good. Yeah, He was good. He can hold his head up high and he might kick on and be a big difference for them this year. That could make a difference. All right, uh, our last club we're going to look at for this week, and we'll do three each week, and uh, we're heading, don't worry, people who listen outside Melbourne, we're heading across the border for this one, and I speak of Port Adelaide Finey, finished 10th last season, 11 wins, 11 losses. Says a bit about Port Adelaide, (laughs) sort of sums up their their last five years or so. Uh, In terms of list changes, not a heap of movement, perhaps surprisingly, out uh, Dougal Howard, who's gone to St Kilda, Paddy Ryder, who's gone to St Kilda, and Sam Gray. Uh, I was quite surprised they delisted Gray, but uh, he's ended up at Sydney. The only in of note beyond the draft is the magnificently named Wiley Buzzer, <laughs> uh, who, yeah, you'd think even at Port is probably still back up rather than necessarily a best Yep. 22 player. So, I look, I, I find them a hard side to read. We know their best can be very good, um, but they're just so inconsistent, I think. Uh, it's almost become a byword for them, and I can't sort of see them. I, I don't I don't look at their list and not the ins and outs, and I just think, well, what's going to change? We know the kids are good. You know, Rosie, Dersma, Butters, they all had great debuts. 
Um, is that enough, though? You know, can, can those guys sort of carry the side and can they get enough out of the older blokes in that side still to make them anything but a contender for the bottom reaches of the eight? I, I doubt it. Great question. Your answer of doubt it is the corner I sit in, mainly because those really talented young players are not quite the they're not quite the match winners, are they? No, as yet they're, they're, they're they great could be, for, but not yet. Yeah, yeah, they're not quite there yet. Can they get more? They must get more out of Ollie Wines, obviously. Yes, he, had, he was disappointing and injured, injured a lot correct. of last year. Can they get something out of? Oh, I don't think they can. Jack Watts, uh, Rockcliffe and Motlop. There. Well, Rockcliffe, in fairness, I thought Rockcliffe sort of came to the party last year. I, I thought think, he was I pretty think, good I for them. I think he's a waste of space person. Oh, that's, no, that's I too do, harsh. and so he's does the coach. He's not a waste of space. Well, the coach does as well. He had a pretty well, good year. Based on numbers, he always has a good, he always does well in terms of I getting he, the ball. Well, I think he plays he got pretty well in the best and fairest. Right, but he got dropped, and he got dropped for a reason, and he got his 60 possessions in the sandfall. When I say a waste of space, I mean it. I mean, he's, he's, there's only so many possessions a midfield can get. And if he's swallowing 35 of them a week, and they're not winning, there's a lack of penetration in his football. Um, I, I reckon that's, are you sure the, the getting drop. Are you sure that was last year and not 2018? I thought it was last year. Yeah, I, I, I just reckon you're a bit... I thought he bounced back pretty well. The other guy who bounced back pretty well was Travis Boak, who gave up the captaincy. He had a, a really he had a good, year. good year. Well, he yeah. won the best and fairest. You can't do a lot yeah, better, no, really. He was good. Um, and, you know, the kids we spoke about, they're obviously going to be part of that midfield. What, what's their weakness beyond that? It's got to be up forward. Um in fact, to to the extent, uh, they had the most inside fifties of any team last year. Port Adelaide that'd surprise a few people. That but, is surprising. But they were only ninth for points scored. Yep. Their leading goal kicker was Connor Rosey, only with twenty nine. They only had three players kick twenty or more goals, mm-hmm. and their third and fourth highest tallies came from two guys who aren't there now: Sam Gray and and Ryder. So the the big. If there is Charlie Dixon, who's you know for whom injuries have been a problem, and he also got, well, he definitely got dropped last year. Probably, you know, as a bit of an example, he took quite a while to get into the side because of injury, but after a, a good showing early on on his return, he got the axe as well. So the coach certainly put the acid on some of those senior players, didn't he? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I can see them improving. Uh, I can see them, you know, having their moments. But there's so many sides like that now. I just look at other sides sort of in that bracket yep. even of last year's ladder yep. and think that the upside is is greater for them than it is for the power. It just There's just a bit too much more of the same about it for me. So right at this stage, and I haven't done my ladder yet, but I wouldn't be putting them in the eight. Would yeah, you? No, I don't have them in the eight. All right, well, there's our our, uh, review for this week. Three more clubs next week. Who will they be? You'll have to wait and find out. Let's finish off the news feed segment, finally, with a little bit of cricket, our other favourite sport. Uh, Just uh, putting a line underneath the one-day series between India and Australia. India winning that one 2-1. Pretty routine victory last night. Uh, Geez, their batting's got some power. 
Um, they did it on the bit. Only lost what three wickets? I think, yeah, I mean, Rohit, <laughs> boy, he's a beautiful player, isn't he? Wasn't off a Coley gets sort of overshadowed, no, but, but he he better say cleverly though, Coley. He knew that Rohit was you know seeing the ball beautifully. He just fed him the strike. He took full toll of balls that needed to be taken full toll of, and then he accompanied Shreyas virtually to the win, Coley going out late. But the Australian team was poorly selected. Your two big hitters yeah. opened the innings. Mm. Now, Smith did really well. He made 98 and 119, but he bats for most of the 50 overs to make those scores. And he needs to have somebody like Maxwell coming in. I mean, you know what? Ask India who they would not want to come on tour out of five or six players. And, of course, Maxwell would be the one they wouldn't want. Well, to me, the obvious changes to that lineup for uh, last night's game would have been Agar and uh, Turner out for oh, no, Maxwell Agar, and Stoinis. Yeah, but Agar bowled beautifully. Yeah, but Maxwell bowls. No, no. Agar really bowled well. I'd st- he bowled beautifully. Well, if night. you want Maxwell in, someone's got to make way. Yeah, well, they don't have to pay th- three quicks. That was the first time they played the three quicks. And Cummins bowled terribly. First time. Okay, tired. But I'm not surprised Stark got belted around the park. I mean, he was there for he was there for the taking, and they took him. All right. The other noteworthy thing it's been a you know we've we've talked about the BBL a bit. I, I saw some interesting um, crowd figures. Uh, Rick Finlay, the statistician, tweeted them, and I, I actually don't have them right. My fingertips. good or bad? No bad. Mm. Uh, crowds down. I think over a hundred thousand on last year. Yeah. Now that there's been more. Afternoon games, I think, are more double headers, so they that might have had a bit to do with it. But it's sort of I reckon they're sitting on their laurels. And and the games in the last week, there's been a lot of sort of bowler dominated games as well, which hasn't helped. Amazing result just quickly last night with the Renegades um, getting up over the Heat, having made only what one forty was it? I think, and the Heat were none for eighty odd. Uh, managed to lose 10 for 36, I think, including 7 for 7. So a uh, fairly spectacular collapse, reminiscent of that uh, grand final. final the Renegades won over the Stars. But before we wrap up, and you're going to have to do this quickly, I'm afraid, but uh, you want to do throw in something about the Under-19 Cricket well, World Cup. Okay, it is on some of the games are live on Foxtel, if you are lucky enough to have that service. And it's an interesting tournament. 16 teams. There are a couple of first-timers in an international cricket tournament at any level. Nigeria, and they're yet to play. They play England tonight, and Japan. Oh, that noted cricket country. Well, you, you have a look at their team, and quite a few of the players uh, clearly have Japanese names, and most of the players are from Japanese teams. How did they make it? They were in a qualifying group in East Asia and Pacific. They beat Vanuatu, they beat Tonga, and they beat Fiji as did Papua New Guinea. New Guinea were the red-hot favourites to win that group. The final game between Japan and Papua New Guinea would decide who would make it through. And New Guinea had to forfeit because they were recalled to New Guinea by the New Guinea Cricket Association, having been having had 10 of the 11 that played in the previous match um, caught shoplifting. Oh, really? In, in, oh, in Tokyo. Laugh. The game was in Japan, in Tokyo. So this terrible shoplifting incident gifted Japan a spot. Their practice matches have not been encouraging. Um, they've been pasted. But they did get a point in their first game because New Zealand, who were 
two for 200 after 24 overs or something. Uh, never got out on the field again. It started raining and didn't stop raining. Interesting results. Australia beaten by the West Indies. First time... Australia's played West Indies previously seven times in a cricket world under-19 World Cup. One or seven. They lost a couple of nights ago. Yeah, no, that's significant. Afghanistan played the host South Africa in the first game. Mm-hmm. South Africa all out for 120. Afghanistan passed them in the... 12th over. Actually, I saw that score, yeah. Uh, 12th or something over for one wicket. And Bangladesh had a similar result. They were set in a shortened game against Zimbabwe. They had to get 130 runs in 22 overs. They made them in 11 for one wicket. Both those teams are considered big chances. Imagine that, Afghanistan and Bangladesh. It's Well, you've seen signs of both in the BBL, for example, haven't yeah. you, with particular players yeah. coming it's, in and it's doing well. So it's quite exciting. It's good for cricket. Yeah, it's a changing face of cricket, but very exciting. All right, uh, there's enough news for this week. Uh, time now, finally, I think, to talk about, uh, about loss, about love, and about life. Life Hacks. Building a better world. All right, this segment's always a bit uh, who knows where it's going to go type thing. Sometimes serious, sometimes uh, whimsical. Uh, I'll let you kick us off. What do you got for us? Life hacks. Quite serious. My first life hack is a bit of a, a sort of community service announcement about something that I didn't know about but found out last night. Look, we had a medical emergency at home last night or it was a, it was a possible medical emergency. Now, what do you do at three in the morning when you're not quite sure whether you should go to the hospital, call an ambulance? Where do you turn to? Uh, there is a call a doctor service, which well, that, is that what you were going to say? Well, it's call a nurse. Yeah. We actually rang call a nurse yeah. and they put us in touch with uh, the emergency of, of a nearby hospital and discussions were had and then we were able to plot the course. But one three hundred sixty sixty twenty four, and it was just ex- I didn't know that service existed, but it's very important. So hang on, is it over the phone or do they come? No, over the phone. Oh, okay. And but they then transferred us. Yeah. To the emergency at a hospital. Oh, that's good to know. And you know, you really are sort of left wondering what should we do, and you know, people tend to be a bit stoic in these situations. No, I'll be all right, but clearly they weren't all right. And you know, everything all right now? I hope so. Yeah, everything's everything's okay now. But it is very much a a a, a safe harbour, an important place to go to when you're not thinking straight in the middle of the night. Well, there's actually you can get a visiting doctor service as well, which yeah, yeah. we've availed ourselves of several yeah. times, yes, and yes. they um, I'm pretty sure they bulk bill. Yep. And, uh, you know, you might think, oh, geez, I'll be forever. But sometimes it takes a while, sometimes it doesn't. But so, all doctors used to come to your house, didn't they? I, I remember my GP did. Yeah, mine uh, did. Yeah. Dr. Cosgrove and Dr. Tiernan. Uh, Dr. McKenzie. Yeah, they, um, they used to come. They, yes. were only, they were only about 50 metres up the road, yeah. so it wasn't, wasn't a huge trek for them. No, that's uh, good to know. Good service. Uh, in a day, in a, an age of sort of dwindling public services, uh, good to know that things yeah, was, like that very still handy. exist. Um, all right, I'm going to start, uh, actually I'll start we, where we sort of left off with the cricket and it was just an observation that we've had 
a one-day series between India and Australia, three games, a um, bit of a, a run fest, plenty of runs made, some great batting, ball, uh, bat-dominating ball. Uh, Australia won the first one, India ended up winning the series with victories in the last two games. But I just felt um, like, and this happens far too often for my liking these days, that it was sort of played in a bit of a vacuum. And I feel this so often with 50-over cricket particularly, when they are just these self-contained one-day series, even when it's between two of the big cricket nations, it's sort of like at the end of it, what's the point? You know, like five years from now when you're talking about battles between Australia and India, are you going to even refer to a 50-over game from, you know, five years previously? You're going to be talking about the tests. You might be talking about the World Cup if they happen to clash in the World Cup. But beyond that, it's sort of like... 50... I understand that, but not everything can be momentous and and stand the test of time. You probably need those fillers. And I've got to say, for for Virat Kohli, who loves playing Australia, it meant something. For Finch, it certainly meant something. And for a few of the Australian cricketers, they, you know, Labashane will continue on, but I'm not sure about Turner. And So it was a bit of a career maker for a couple of them. I've got a big problem with sport. Without context, even okay. even when there are stars playing, and I, I think I mean this is just right off the top of my head. But obviously, we have a World Cup, and that's the the pinnacle event of fifty over cricket. Could we not have a a World Championship as well, like the Test cricket? Well, like the got... Test cricket one they've talked about for the last well, twenty five years. Test cricket now has we now have this system. But it's crap, isn't it? I mean, it's like... Oh, they're taking it pretty seriously. Yeah, but no one... We, we make a, 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 a one sort of reference to where each of the competing countries are on the rankings. Yeah. We don't actually have, like, a Test Cricket Grand Final, do we? The no. World Cup is at least the 50-over Grand Final. Yeah, which is why 50-over Cricket is still relevant, because it's sort of the only way you can have a World Cup contained in a sensible period that isn't a complete fluke like the T20. Which is great, but... You know, all those sort of games around. You want, you want some context for it? It's not, I don't know. I don't know. Look, I, I just, I've got to say that if sport, and I know it's sort of heading this way, but if we keep relentlessly sort of driving sport for entertainment's sake without sort of attaching a context to it or a historical importance or whatever, I'm going to lose interest because it is just entertainment. It's no different to watching a movie. Yeah, but... They're not that interested in your interest as you're the oh, wrong, yeah. you're the wrong side of fifty. They're yeah. They're capturing younger younger hearts and minds with shorter attention spans mm-hmm. for, for less reasons. Yeah, but you know what the catch twenty two there is that those younger minds with shorter attention spans will be the first to hop off when the game uh, or those countries in terms of form or whatever run into a bit of a a poor era. But who knows what context they hold important. You know, for us, it, it has to have meaning. It has to be something fought, fought over and valued and almost, you know, uh, historically relevant. Maybe they just think, Smith, Coley, glory be. Don't you find that depressing? I find a lot of things depressing, mate. I mean, no, seriously. I mean, what there has to be... It makes me want to say, what is the meaning of life? There's got to be meaning in something other than just, you know, uh, the instant gratification of watching, you know, some star player hit a few sixes. So you're not looking forward to the State of Origin bushfire game? 
That doesn't have a lot of content. Not overly, no. I mean, it'd be good to see a collection of players running around playing for one side. But, yeah, no, that is... But we said last week that that is... At least it's not pretending to be anything else, you know? I I don't know. I, I just find it all a bit sort of spurious, you yep. know, sort of games that don't have a, a meaning attached to them. All right, you're next. Okay, my next observation is... The dollar slurpee. Do do you partake in the dollar slurpee? Oh, not for a long time, but uh, as a kid, but not very, very infrequently since. You need to tap it for about five minutes. What to get the slurp out of the? If you don't tap tap. it and you leave it and you take it home, if you fill up a slurpee, oh yeah, if you fill up a slurpee cup, yeah, you slurp. All the flavour just goes to the bottom. No, the whole thing shrinks about. Oh, really? Yeah. It, <laughs> what, including the cup? No, the contents. If you don't tap it, yeah, it will collapse on itself. It's it's only half full. Okay, so what do you do? You just stand there tapping. And <laughs> to last week, during the week... Did everyone hear that tapping? Do it again. Sounds like Morse Last code. week, during one of the hot days, which obviously was flanked by a freezing cold day... I was at the local 7-Eleven, tapping away with, you know, underage children and old people alike, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's just a fact. (laughs) Slurpees need to be tapped. I just think people who don't tap their Slurpees are missing out. You're really playing into their hands. Okay. uh, All Slurpee fans, I'm sure, are nodding furiously in agreement. Uh, We could almost have a mini life hack there about, uh, you mentioned weather. What about that thunderstorm? Last night, yeah, we missed it. Oh no, we well, heard it. We heard that, and then there was footage of hail. And yeah, yeah. Down, nothing where I was. Well, we cop- we got some pretty big hail, but I saw there are a lot of people doing hail pictures on Twitter, literally sort of tennis ball size, not just golf yeah. ball yeah. size. And someone did observe golf balls are always the measuring stick yeah, of yeah. hail for yeah. some reason. But my mum, uh, my elderly mother, copped it particularly bad in East Melbourne, and she's got, she had the SES come around at midnight. She had mm-hmm. leaks all over the roof. Oh, that's um, really good. No, no, she's uh, they're putting a big tarp over the roof today, and she's got the insurance oh, that's people real out. Damage. Whatever. Um, I perhaps foolishly made the observation on Twitter that uh, it wasn't uh, normal to have. An incredibly well hot and sticky day, and then thirty minutes later, it's you're getting tennis ball sized palestones, which of course open the gate to uh, about two hours of trolling from the usual suspects. <laughs> I'm definitely getting trolled a lot more on Twitter, no question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, seek, was, seek, what is it? So and ye shall reap, reap, and ye shall sow. So and ye shall reap. So, you sow and then you reap. You reap what you sow. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't think that's quite fair, but uh, anyway, you're not on Twitter, so you're not really in a position to judge. Ah, uh, you see? <laughs> FRO, funny. Uh, you're famous <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah, GFY is uh, closing in. Um, What's GFY? Oh, yeah, I've worked that out. Yeah, yeah okay, good. Yeah. All right, uh, you're la- uh, now hang on. No, hang on, that's done... yours. No, no, it wasn't really one. You can't grab mine. That was a mini one. Yeah, on the back of mine. Use your own. Okay, what are we up to? I've lost track. I've got one to go. Okay, you... go. No, you've got two to go. Oh, have I? Yeah, yeah I have two. I'll make this one really quick. Okay. I don't get to the movies very often anymore. <laughs> um, 
But uh, poor Rowan. No, Abby and I went to uh, an afternoon session actually on Friday afternoon, mm-hmm. and I didn't think about it too much. I just thought, oh yeah, this might be worthwhile. I thought this movie was fantastic, and I speak of 1917. Um, oh yeah, I want to see that. Uh, a lot of not necessarily hype, but a lot of discussion about the filming techniques. The one long shot. Mm-hmm. It isn't. I mean, look, I'm I'm not an expert in these things, but it isn't really one long shot. There's plenty of cuts and stuff, but the the sort of shots on the battlefield and the trenches or whatever are sort of one long shot, and it's 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 incredibly well filmed, really, really well filmed. I thought the um, depiction of the trenches and the battlefield, because at one stage they're basically going through no man's land, and it's basically about two soldiers who get sent on an errand. It's a bit like, I haven't seen this, I know this is a plot though, Saving Private Ryan, it's a bit like that. But the depiction of those um, sort of uh, discarded or, un, you know, sort of not being used battlegrounds and the, and the bodies and the stench and the... It was so effective, I thought. I thought the acting was terrific. I, I liked the story and I, I just found it intensely moving um i you know look I'm, I'm a bit of a crier in movies but i did weep in uh, several different places in this film but i would highly highly recommend it I, I think it's a terrific terrific film and uh hope it does very well at the oscars my final life hack is look i'm not a big follower of the royal family i realize that some of what they do is driven by a need to protect the overall image of the royal family. So there are sceptics out there, and probably not even sceptics. There are people who quite rightly say that Harry and Meghan have made this move away from royal life into secular life to take away some of the heat from Prince Andrew. And that's probably correct. But I admire what they're doing. They have um, reneged, you know, handed back their titles, handed back their um, stipends, and their life of pu- very public life and hard working life of simply being royals professionally to become professional working people who will live and die on their own success and earn accordingly i think it's it's 2020 i think it's really the direction that the royal family needed to take to show that they are not Prince Andrew living in some world of, of um, obviously his situation is particularly sordid, but a world of world detached from reality, and they've stepped right into reality. So well done, Harry and Megan, from somebody that has never said that about any royal before. No, fair, fair point. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but this is one issue I have absolutely no opinion on, really, no, other, other than to say... Uh, no, I, I guess I do have an opinion. The hypocrisy of the English media never ceases to astound me. I mean, that absolute plonk of Piers Morgan, the the vitriol of his attacks, and I'm told it's because uh, Megan knocked him back for an interview or something. But there's, I read, I did read an interesting piece yesterday about the vested interests in terms of media. You know, yep. like they're they're scared about sort of losing their you know, some of their fodder for, for the crap they produce. But sure. just the, the the hypocrisy of the British media in for the last couple of decades having regularly piled on the royal family, and again, don't get me wrong, I'm a 
staunch Republican. But they sort of pour all the shit on him. And then when one of them ups and leaves, even if he's sixth in line of a throne or whatever it is, it's, oh, how dare you, you know, desert your country and yeah. get stuffed. I mean, seriously. Um, You're right. I think I think their, their main their main cause for concern is there's, you know, a thousand stories, a thousand paparazzi snapshots, you know, really cannon fodder has turned their back on us and gone to live in Canada and just become not normal people but working people, uh, that's, you know, the newspaper's going to be two pages less. Okay, my last one, and I've done, I've done a finey here. I, I had something all marked down to talk about, and I've just abandoned it because I'm glad you mentioned newspapers because I don't know why I didn't think of this before. I know I go on about the media. I've, over the weekend, one of the most disgraceful things I've ever seen in an Australian newspaper, and if you follow me on Twitter, you, I've tweeted about it a couple of times in the last 24 hours, but The Australian. The Australian newspaper, which mm-hmm. an unapologetic apologist for the right side of politics. Okay, well, fair enough. It's it's Rupert Murdoch. We sort of expect that. The Australian has always sort of been that way, or certainly the last couple of decades. That is one thing. Okay, you can you can quibble about that, and I do frequently. Um, they there are a lot of other things the Australian do that annoy me. They employ Chris Kenny for starters. Um, they're shocking uh, self-congratulators, constantly patting themselves on the back about the standard of their journalism. They have been leading the charge on climate change denialism. But it's none of that. This, this is so far and away one of the worst things I've seen. They published on their letters page, and I, I don't read the Oz, I only became aware of it because someone tweeted it, they have the letters page and they have a post of a day, which I don't know if it's taken off Twitter or response to their um, stories, reader comments or whatever. But it's highlighted and it's obviously them sort of saying, we think this is a pretty good post. You know what it was? It was a guy who didn't even have the guts to give his surname, basically apologising for apartheid. He, he was saying that the virtue signalers and the elites, you know, their favourite sort of buzzwords of conservative media, have long since vanished as South Africa descends into economic ruin and chaos. Uh, and he, But the way it started was that, uh, oh, you know, it's okay for the virtue signals to say, oh, thank God we got rid of apartheid. But there was a method in the madness to it, and it was a safe place. And, I mean, you might as well have, have written, you know, the, those blackfellas knew their place. And not only are they running this stuff, which is highly, highly questionable, they're actually promoting it as their post of the day. Have a look on my Twitter feed if you want to see it. It is an absolute disgrace. The Australian newspaper, I'll tell you what, it's a toss-up between the Daily Telegraph and the Australian for title or worst newspaper in the country. But at least the Telegraph, I guess, has the honesty to know what it is and what it appeals to. The Australian dresses itself up in this cloak of respectability. I'll tell you what, there's nothing respectable about naked, blatant racism. That is disgusting. Christopher Dorr, the editor of The Australian, you should be ashamed of yourself. We know you won't be because you're a Murdoch hack and a bootlicker, but you are an absolute disgrace as an editor, and that paper is a disgrace of a publication. It, what's its readership? It, it, oh, shit. It's crap. It's it, it's bugger all, Farney. I mean, 
It's always run at a loss. Isn't it's the only the... national newspaper in the country. No one's ever bought it. It's always been a vanity project for Rupert Murdoch since 1964. I've only ever read it on an aeroplane. It, it did used to have some decent journalism. These days, it's just an absolute steaming hot pile of horse manure. And yes, I did get a bit angry there. Yeah, you did. All right, uh, time to move on. What are we up to now? Oh, my favourite segment. It is vinyl and video. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. All right, uh, getting some great feedback to this segment. And uh, why not? It's a lot of fun as we revisit a year of our choosing and uh, talk about the best or our favourite music, movies and TV from that year. You had uh, the choice this week, Finey. What year have you gone with? 1971. Oh, another St Kilda grand final loss. Sorry. A three-quarter time, St Kilda led by... 20 points. And were equal on premierships with Hawthorne. Correct. So it looked like we were going to go ahead of them. Correct. We're and, still uh, on one and... They've won 12 more. And an unlikely match winner, fair to say. You know what? I've actually seen Bob Keddy play games in South Australia. For South Adelaide, yeah. I think he played for. For South Australia. Yeah. He's a bloody powerful, good footballer. Yeah, He's yeah. not unlikely. Not yeah. when you play on Gary Colling. Well, I mean, come on. If you talked about, you know, potential grand final match Yeah, I'm winners. saying, but he was a really powerful player and they knew. They were playing through him. Yeah. They knew their man was... Yeah, well, Kennedy, uh, three-quarter time, got uh, Hudson to play further up the ground yeah. and Keddie stay in the goal square yeah, and inspired they knew what they were move. doing. Yep. Uh, all right, but we digress. All right, so uh, let's talk about music. And um, actually, I'm going to go first this Please week. Please do. All right. So here's some of the um, albums that caught... It was a pretty uh, good year for albums or some really noteworthy albums came out in this year. Uh, for example, uh, the Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers. Huge album. One of the most famous album covers of all time. Uh, the Another d- great album cover from that year. Or great, was Thick as a Brick by Jethro, Jethro Tull. Amazing looking album. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, the Doors, LA Woman, huge yep. album. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say this. One for the Ladies. Uh, my older sister, Sharon, absolutely loved this album, and it probably single-handedly put me off this artist, Carol King's Tapestry. Well, that's an enormous album, isn't it? It was, it was. Uh, I don't know why I'm remembering all the album covers, but that one had her sort of sitting on a window ledge with a cat, I think. Um, and uh, I had, this is the hardest, as you know, I'm always going to pick an album, this is the hardest choice I've had. I agonised over this one for 15 minutes before I decided. Yes. So for me, it came down to two albums. And I couldn't decide. Both huge albums. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me with my final choice. But it just came down to personal, you know, which one I've played most and enjoyed the most over the years. Very, very high distinction as my runner-up, Led Zeppelin Four. The Prince of Led Zeppelin albums, finally, the song order, cop this. Yep. Black Dog, Rock and Roll, The Battle of Evermore, The Ubiquitous Stairway to Heaven, Misty Mountain Hop, Four Sticks, Going to California, and one of my all-time favourites, When the Levee Breaks. It is a monster album. That is great. It is great. I mean, look. Rock and roll, eh, I get a bit tired of that. My my picks off that are Black Dog, 
rocking song. And when the levee breaks, Stairway to Heaven definitely falls into the category of heard it too much, but I I acknowledge its uh, its worth. But look, in the end, I just decided I played this album so much. I didn't get onto this album until I was about 16, so 10 years after it came out. But I love it. I still play it a lot, and it's got, to me, uh, this band's signature two songs. Who am I talking about? Well, we're talking about the same sort of uh, era, obviously, and uh, nationality and genre. Can you guess who I'm talking about? English band? The Who? Correct. And that album is Who's Next? Another famous album cover. Do you know that one? There's a no. sort of concrete obelisk in the middle of a, a sort of barren sea of rocks, and they're all they're having a Oh, yeah, yeah, having yeah. a whiss on it, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, but I love this album. Now, I, I, I spoke about those two sort of standard tracks, and they are Barbara O'Reilly to begin that album, and the album closes with the absolutely epic Won't Get Fooled Again. Mm-hmm. How many times, and people, even young people, I reckon, who don't actually know the name of the song, you've only got to hear a few bars of it. You have heard, everyone has heard this song at some stage and as a TV show theme or in an ad or somewhere. But they are two absolutely epic tracks. In between that, so Barbara O'Reilly's track one, then there's Bargain, another rocker which I like, really like. Love Ain't For Keeping, little sort of acoustic number, but a nice one. My Wife, The Song Is Over, uh, love that as well. Uh, Getting In Tune, Going Mobile, love them. Behind Blue Eyes, which was covered by... Who covered that band? Uh, who covered that song? Someone did. Was it Guns N' Roses or someone like that? Anyway. Um, and finishes with Won't Get Fooled Again. I still play this album regularly. I think it stands up for an album that came out in 1971. I reckon it stands up as a, a harder rock album better than most, if not all, its contemporaries. And, uh, look, I do like The Who, but that, for me, is far and away their, uh, what's the phrase, magnum opus, I think. The Who, Who's Next? All right, Finey, what are you going with? I've had a late change, but I just... Okay. Well, I was going to be American Pie. Yeah. But you've... Which is a song. By Don McLean. Yeah. And it's a pretty classic song, isn't it? Uh, it is. No, yeah, no. I had no qualms about you choosing that. I have qualms about you choosing songs and not albums. Because I've gone for an fight. album. Oh, okay. Look, I'm a huge fan of T-Rex. I think they're highly underrated. I'm a huge fan of you turning your mobile off. Oh, not. Oh, no, actually, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, so. Yeah, okay, T-Rex. But T-Rex, glam rock, really... Yep. They say that the birth of glam rock, when they sort of went from a bit folksy to something a bit more powerful, yep. was with their 1971 album, Electric Warrior. You sure it's 1971? It's 100% That's good. Recorded March and June 71, released 24th of September, 1971. Okay, standout tracks? Well... What's okay. it called? Sorry, Electric? Electric Warrior. Okay. So, the two singles from the album yep. are Get It On. I bang a gong. Yeah, which was their only number top ten hit in the USA. Yep. And Jeepster. What was that one? Girl, I'm just a Jeepster for your love. Oh, but yeah. also in that year they brought out 
singles because they brought out quite a few singles that they tried and then put into albums later. Yeah. So they also brought out Metal Guru and Telegram Sam. But they're not on the album. They're not on that album. Are they on any album? Yes, they appear next year on the slider. Oh, yeah, okay. I think T-Rex are highly underrated. Songs like Children of the Revolution. Yeah, I like that. 20th Century Boy. Yeah. I love them. You know, Mark Boland died at the age of 29. Yeah, in a car accident, accident, wasn't it? 1977, I think. Car driven by his girlfriend. Yep. And let's be honest, glam rock. I love glam rock. I love a lot of the music, but a lot of it is now, sadly, but rightly um, scorned because the performers have led... It just happens a lot of the performers led um, horrid lives. So, you know, Gary Glitter's music is lost to us. Interestingly, you know, in the recent movie The Joker, they played Rock and Roll Part 2, which I think is a brilliant piece of music and to great controversy. And that's from that era as well. That's from 71 too. But thankfully, Mark Boland's name has not been besmirched, so you can still enjoy T-Rex. All right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you've gone for an album rather than a, a song, although um, somewhat uh, annoyed that you made me read about 15 minutes worth of stuff on American Pie by well, Don McLean. it is a very – it's a great song. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a great song. It's Yeah, look, it's, a, it's been um, – well, I've forgotten what the distinction is, but it's been like certified as a, a – a, a musical piece of historical importance. And yep. for anyone, I mean, no, hang on, we don't need to say this, do we? But it's about the uh, tragic plane crash which uh, robbed the music world of uh, Buddy Holly, uh, Richie Valens and the Big Bopper in, what was it, February 1959. Uh, there's always been, McLean has always been very reluctant to talk about the meanings of all the references in it. But I think he did finally a few years ago and it's sort of like it's not just about that plane crash it's a sort of a, a I guess what is it a tribute to that era yes and the yeah. last thing mentioned in it actually is the um, the death of the concert goer at Altamont mm-hmm. which was I think 1967 mm-hmm. so it sort of spans a decade yep. but yeah important song and uh, I certainly wouldn't have quibbled with you choosing that all right movies um, okay now I've just forgotten what your movie is, so perhaps you do your movie what, first. Now, this is a movie that I love as much today for some reason as an adult as I did when I saw it as a child. I was only six. It was probably one of the first movies I ever saw. It really was. Down at Dendy in Brighton, which is still sort of there. Had the L. Is that in Bay Street? The Den- yeah. Okay. Uh, Church Street. Um, and it was an eye-opener. This wonderful world of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Ah, yes. Not loved by the author, Roald Dahl, because it was not particularly true to the story. The remake, which I don't like, being a Johnny Depp creation. You know, Johnny Depp was in it. So it's Gene Wilder, isn't it? Yeah, this is Gene Wilder. It's a music, it's partly a musical. Yeah. There's just something about it. It's very colourful. It is very colourful. There's something, it, it does, it does, touch on a little bit of the sadism that was Willy Wonka's character because he was a sadist and quite cruel and that was brought out more in the story but there's just something about it that remains captivating to children still today. I love it. I love watching it with my kids. They're now too old. I wait for grandkids maybe to watch it with or just sometimes I watch it on my own. For some reason 
I have been, you know, just captivated by that movie. Who who else is in it of note besides Gene Wilder? Um, Jack Alberton plays the grandfather. There are strange things for grandparents who lived in a bed together. What's the kid's name again? The boy's name? Um, Charlie Bucket, unknown actor. Bucket. It's, it's interesting yeah. because Gene Wilder. Gene, <laughs> Gene Wilder. That's awesome. Um, yeah. um, Gene Wilder has an American accent, and. Charlie Bucket has American, but it's set in a city that might be European or Londonish. I always thought it was England, but it's not. Yeah, okay. it, it's it's sort of this global, yeah, global conglomer- agglomeration. But it's an interesting movie. We love Augustus Gloop falling in the Chocolate River. Yeah, no, Augustus, don't. He's going to be he's going to be turned into marshmallows. That's ridiculous, madam. Jesus, it's been so like I literally haven't seen that it tube doesn't go kid. to the marshmallow f- factory. It goes to the furnace. So they have to they have to get a gold star in a bar of chocolate, isn't it? There's is a it? golden ticket. Golden ticket. Charlie yeah. is a pauper. Yeah, he can only afford one every now and then. Everybody else is buying thousands. Yeah, they think it's all done and dusted, but the last one's a forgery. Yeah, he sees a coin in a in a drain, picks it up. Buys the chocolate bar just because he likes chocolate bars. Gets the golden ticket, and then in the in the it's actually a test of all the children who are all very spoiled. Yeah, all, yeah, they're all. I was going to say all the other winners are assholes. And the they? stars are the Oompa Loompas who yeah. come and sing a song about each of them, whether they they chew too much gum, watch too much TV, yeah. are spoiled or gluttons. Only Charlie is the good boy. So, uh, spoiler alert, how is he rewarded for being a good boy? He gets the factory. Oh, yeah, okay. When the, when the famous Wonka elevator bursts through the glass ceiling. The glass ceiling. And then, the, and then takes him on a trip and he sees his little house and then, you've won it, you've done it. At first, of course, Wonka says that he's disqualified because they had a bit of a drink that they shouldn't have had. And he returned the everlasting gobstopper, which was the real test. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what? Uh, how is it? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was the book. Is that right? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It was actually, the movie was actually sort of paid for and sponsored by Quaker Oats, who had bought the rights to Willy Wonka chocolate bars and were hoping to cash in on it through a range of candies. But Roald Dahl didn't like it, but I did. Okay. Uh, no, I, I, I've had fond memories of it. Um, massive year for movies. Some really big movies that people remember, and uh, I'm going to rattle off a few names. Clockwork Orange. Great movie. The French Connection. No, you know what happens to... No, I always Gene confuse Hackman, that. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, by the way, you're copping a bit of flack, rightly so, yep. last week for confusing Duran Duran and Human League. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still confuse them. Um uh, Dirty Harry. So uh, ask yourself, punk. Clute. Are you feeling lucky? That was with um, Jane, Fonda Jane Fonda playing a prostitute. Um, play Misty for me. That's another Cleetwood. Clint Eastwood. That's a late night um, DJ. Yeah, and you know who the the beauty in that is? It's um, uh, the mother from Arrested Development. What the so the from Cheers. No, from Arrested Development. Oh, from oh, sorry, I was thinking about Modern Family. I've just forgotten. Her oh, name. she's fantastic. Uh, what's her name again? Lucille. Lucille yeah. Bluth. Yeah, she's great because she plays the. I can't remember the, the actress. She plays name. a very similar character in, a, in an animated show called Archer. 
Uh, yes, a really great Australian film, early Australian film, uh, Wake in Fright. Yeah, that was um, Peter Weir. Uh, oh God, I should have looked that up. Was it Peter Weir? Uh, could be. Look it up, Fanny. Okay. Look it up in your funk and wagnalls. Uh, the Go Between, which I always liked. The I didn't because we had. To, of, I didn't. That was a bit Alan Bates. Uh, yes. I didn't like it because we had had the book at school. So yeah, any, no, we any, did the book for school. Anything that you do at school becomes a chore. And another favourite. This was almost my selection, Fanny. Again, just lost out. Yep. I think it's Steven Spielberg's first movie or very early. Duel. Duel. Yeah, that's a great movie. A ripping movie. And if you haven't seen it, it's basically, it couldn't be any simpler a plot. A guy driving on the open American highway gets tailgated by a guy driving a huge semi-trailer who you never see. And uh, it's basically the whole movie is him trying to, to get away from the guy who, for whatever reason, is just gone crazy eight bonkers and wants to take him out. Dennis Weaver, isn't it? Dennis yeah, Weaver. Dennis you never Wake actually it, sorry, Wake in front I've got here. You never actually see the um driver of the truck. Uh but a fantastic movie. I love that movie. Hurry up with the Wake in Fright info. The director's a guy called Ted Kochev. Oh Kochev, yeah. He's American. Yeah, American. Yeah. yeah. Um all right, now, okay, get off your phone now okay. because I want you to actually listen. Yes. Uh, this I had to go with this, though, and as much as I love Jill. I'm a huge fan of early, and I stress early, Woody Allen. I like some of his later stuff too, but his early straight comedy stuff I reckon is superb. Uh, I love all of them. Take the Money and Run, Everything You Always Want to Know About Sex, Sleeper. Uh, but my favourite, I think, just is Bananas. And uh, that came out in 1971, starring Woody Allen. Louise Lasser is the uh, female love interest. And uh, in this plot, perhaps slightly uh, unbelievable, Woody plays a bumbling um, sort of New York... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Schleck? What's a Schleck? No, no, so he's a he's a schmuck or a a schmuck a schmuck schmuck's yeah. a good word. Yeah, he's a bit of a loser. Yeah. Anyway, he uh, called Fielding Mellish. Yep. Who um, comes across Louise Lasser when she's door knocking, uh, trying to raise funds for the rebels in South American country San Marcos. He hooks up with her, but of course can't. Uh, she has far higher aspirations than him. She dumps him and uh, in a fit of, uh, let's say, self-pity, travels to the South American country of San Marcos and promptly gets caught up in the revolution. Uh, the film ends mem- uh, begins memorably with Howard Cosell on the steps of a, uh, I think, parliament commentating the assassination of the leader of San Marcos as the soldiers take over in a coup. Um, General Vargas is the leader of the soldiers, and he, of course, is a horrible dictator who, once he becomes aware of Fielding Mellish's presence in San Marcos, tries to have him uh, bumped off by his soldiers, uh, pretending to be rebels, thus hopefully getting some US aid. But uh, he avoids their capture miraculously and then gets captured by the real rebels, teams up with them and ends up uh, after the leader of the rebels goes mad as well and commands everyone to wear their underpants on the outside, uh, they elect Fielding Mellish as their president. Um, he goes back to the US where he's promptly 
tried for treason, I think, and uh, conducts his own defence in a memorable courtroom scene with witnesses including Miss America, <laughs> um, a big black woman who apparently is a disguised J. Edgar Hoover. Um, it is it's just uh, wall-to-wall uh, visual and um, uh, audible gags. It finishes with Howard Cosell again commentating the consummation of the marriage of Fielding Mellish and Louise Lasser, who uh, he gets back in the good books. It's an absolute riot. I, I think it's one of the funniest movies I've seen. I must have watched it at least a dozen times. But if you haven't, I thoroughly recommend it, as I do all Woody Allen's early movies. Bananas, 1971. Okay, TV. Well, this program was a part of my life from when it started very much as a kid's show in 1971 with Peter McKenna Ooh. as a co-star. Ah, yes, yes. He was quickly replaced by a pink ostrich. Of course, it's Hey Hey, It's Saturday. I loved it as a kid, actually. I yeah, enjoyed, so did I. Yeah. They took you around the world. They they sort of had to you know dress up adventures and a bit of tra- bit of fun geographically, and then they sort of extended into some sketches. Had some regular characters like the angel and others, and and then morphed into a more an adult program. Still, yeah, it was Saturday mornings Still in the mornings. Initially. Still in the mornings. And that adult version uh, moved to the very successful Saturday night time slot where people still used it as a bit of a springboard for going out, I reckon, when you were in your late teens and yeah. early 20s. You know, we're going out, but sort of set your clock by after Hey Hey. It was... Or after get home from the footy, watch the replay, yeah. watch a bit of Hey Hey, off you go yeah, to yeah. The, uh, the venue or uh, the Prospect Hill. Various lasers. Macy's. <laughs> I went to Macy's a bit. Lasers. I did the rounds. Lasers in Chevron. Sandringham. No, not Chevron. I saw Midnight Oil. Stage one in Ringwood. Uh, I went to the Manhattan in Ringwood a few times. These were, I was going, these Beer places barns. I'm naming I was going to for companionship, but I tended more to go for bands, which meant Macy's and Seaview Ballroom. Nevertheless, Hey Hey It's Saturday was a standard, and I'm very I was very fortunate that later in life when they brought Hey Hey back, and I know most people thought that was ill-conceived, I was part of the comedy writing team and actually appeared in quite a few sketches. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, on the revamp? Yeah. How long did that last? Oh, a year. Did it last that long? Yeah. I thought it was like half a dozen episodes no, 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 or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. What year was that? Oh, about nine years ago, eight, nine years ago. Okay. Um, all right, my TV show... Look up under... I was, you know, it was... There was a... Sort of a whole group of, of sketches done under Gilbo TV. Yeah. And I, I starred in Under Ballet. It was great fun. Under Ballet. Okay. Yeah. I'll check it out. That's Mark good. Fine uh, appearing in his own comedy sketches. All right. My TV show. Now, it was a big year for Australian shows. You mentioned Hey Hey It's Saturday, but it was also 1971 also saw the launch of Young Talent Time, mm-hmm. Matlock Police, Boney. About oh, the yeah, yeah. Aboriginal yeah. detective yes. and uh, Spy Force with Jack Thompson. Remember that? I've in the last three or four years, I've seen Spy Force like early in the morning. Well, that's when I always saw it back then. Were they always fighting for or on a bridge? I don't know. They did was, a lot of bridge work. It was always a, the yeah the war they were in was always quite. I can never work out what war it was. It's very tropical. Uh, it was tropical. Uh, but I've gone with an American uh, cop show of sorts. Jeez, uh, cop shows were huge in the seventies. But I really liked this one. It did very very well. Lasted for six years, seventy one to seventy seven. Changed its name actually after they 
killed off one of her two main characters, but I speak of Macmillan and White. Great show. Rock Hudson as um, Police Commissioner Stuart Macmillan and the gorgeous, I was in love with her, Susan St. James as his... Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. ...much younger wife, Sally I, I'm thinking Jill St. John. Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned St. John because I don't know why, but into my head popped Jeff St. John, the Australian pop singer the other day. Who uh, remember the guy in the wheelchair? Johnny, yeah, yeah. And was, he, he was had, he Johnny LaPiccolo? He had a great um, song. He's got. A, he had a great voice. The yeah. song was uh, "I'm a Fool for You." I'm a fool for you, baby. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Macmillan and wife. Hang on, you've left out the best actor on the show. Hang on, the support uh, John Shuck as the sort of slightly up um, comical sergeant, uh, what was his name? Charles Enright, hmm. and the sarcastic, hard-drinking maid. Uh, Brilliant. Nancy, uh, Mildred, played by Nancy Walker. She is such a underused comedic talent. Brilliant in the movie <clears throat> Murder by Death. Mm. But she was great in that show, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. It was, um, yeah, so they sort of, they hobnobbed a bit, went to dinner parties and stuff, and then Rock would, you know, sort of casually solve a perplexing murder case. Uh, she had a great raspy voice. Susan St. James, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she was hot. Yeah, she was definitely hot to the, uh, certainly to the younger Connolly in his, uh, in fact, even pre-teen years. Yeah. But I really liked Macmillan and Wife. It just became called Macmillan. For the last two seasons. They killed wife. Yeah, what happened was uh, Susan St. James couldn't come to terms on a contract, so they killed her off in a plane crash, I think, along with her infant son, who... Oh, that's a bit cruel. Yeah, well, I don't know if they even referred to the death of the infant son, but uh, anyway. So the last two seasons were just called Macmillan, but it was phenomenally popular in the US. It had, and, a, bit of, it had uh, a bit of a comedy it, yeah, yeah, no, I did. No, I had it was well written, so I quite liked that one. Good one as well. All right, there you have it. Nineteen seventy-one, the year in music, movies, and TV. I reckon finally it's time we ranted on Footyology, the rant off. Okay, finally, we're not going to mess around. Straight into it. Are you ready to rant? I am ready to rant. Three, two, one, rant. Look, I'll be honest. I'm hopeless with money. I never, I just can't retain it. I either punt it, piss it up against the wall, or spend it on something completely not worth the value. But I don't, at least let me waste my own money. I hate being gouged. And I've got to admit, after backlash against the MCG and Eddie had now Marvel in recent years, I don't consider myself gouged when I go to sporting contests anymore. I really don't. I think the prices are fair. So I now am gouged in three places, and they go on notice. Number one, you dicks that increase the price of petrol every Thursday or Friday before every public holiday, this shameless grab for money, this inexplicable, don't you dare give reasons other than greed for putting the petrol up from an exorbitant $1.42 a litre to a staggering $1.79 a litre. I mean, look, when I notice that I need to, I normally only put 10 or 20 bucks in. When I put 10 bucks in of petrol in my car and I need to refill before I get to the exit of the petrol station, there's a friggin' problem. 
I don't like being gouged on petrol, and I am. I'd buy an electric car, except I think they gouge as well in the purchase price. Number two, the picture theatre. $7.50 for a small popcorn. Listen here, assholes. They're corn kernels. They can't cost you more than five cents. They're probably from some third world country that you're exploiting. You're getting underage kids to work at barely award rates. And you charge me seven fifty for a small popcorn. No, 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 no. I'll be fair. I'll be fair. I can get the popcorn and drink deal. That is a small popcorn and some carbonated post mix for $12. Much fairer. You know what? Except that the poor kids that are making it are being exploited, the only way that would be value would be if I threw it straight back at the people who served it to me. And the final place of gouging is where it is assumed everybody must be a multi-millionaire, and that's at the airport. Because once you pass through the metal detectors and x-ray machines and sniff, you know, electronic sniffing dogs and whatever else they've got to make sure that you're not going to blow up the plane, they blow you up financially. My goodness. I mean, do I really want a crab stick? No. Do I want a $5.50 crab stick that I could normally get for a dollar or $1.50? No, but I buy it anyhow because I'm hungry. And I certainly don't want to pay $14 for a burger or $12.50 for a glass of, this is true, $12.50 for a pint of red lemonade. You know what? You gouge somebody else because I will waste my money now intentionally so I'm ungougeable. You covered a lot of territory there. That was that was impressive. Hey, are they really electronic sniffer dogs? Oh, they've got some things that sniff you, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was thinking you know of, they've got full x-rays. No, now. I was thinking of um, Woody Allen's pet dog in Sleeper called yeah. uh, Wags. Hi, I'm Wags. <laughs> but you know they've got full x-rays now for domestic. Uh, yeah. Actually, they're good because I can go through the x-ray think machine there now because I have a defibrillator so normally I have to get the old pat down but at the Tullamarine ones I don't so I'm happy with that but yeah no prices there pretty steep. As I walk through the x-ray the full body x-ray I just inquired of the woman standing there monitoring it does it matter that I'm not wearing any jocks? You you didn't really what'd she say? She said it doesn't pick up that sort of thing. (laughs) Oh god. Uh, you didn't. I, I thought I was waiting for the spinal tap joke there with the cucumber wrapped in tin foil that Harry Shearer puts down his yeah, pants. No, no, I just Smalls. said about not wearing jokes. <laughs> okay. All right. And don't, uh, no other jokes are acceptable, by the way. Do not make jokes oh, no, at security. Oh, no, God, no. Um, no, I like that one. Uh, full points. All right. Uh, I'm ready to go. Count me in. Three, two, go for it, my friend. I'm pissed off with the effort it takes just to go out somewhere those days, Finey, and the obstacles you have to encounter along the way. I had a rare Saturday night out, believe it or not. I went with my sister to see one of Australia's great rock acts, you and I, play for free at a park just 10 minutes down the road in Carnegie. Now, don't get me wrong, I had a great night, and Tim Rogers and the boys put on their usual cracking show. But talk about logistical negotiations. It just reaffirmed for me why it's so much easier at my age just to sit at my desk in front of a computer screen and a TV like I do the other 364 days of a year. Actually, hang on, it's 365 other days this year. We're in a leap year. I knew you and I could still pull a crowd, but boy, did they pack them in. We ended up parking further away than the distance I'd actually driven to get there. 
The next hurdle became obvious when I saw a long row of punters all standing outside the little park fence, sucking furiously on cigarettes. Yep, this was a park and an open-air gig, but the whole thing had become a smoke-free zone. What else could I do, Finey, but honk down a couple of darts with them in sympathy? That didn't leave as much time to get a decent spot, and it was here I thought my picking through crowd skills, honed through years and years of seeing bands in packed, sweaty pubs, would come in handy. Alas, Finey, I've lost my touch. We'd barely started to tiptoe our way through the massive picnic blankets, chairs and wicker baskets when I lost my balance, stumbled, fell on two little kids and at the same time managed to plonk my left foot smack bang in a family-sized serving of hot chips. It didn't go down well and to those people, if you're listening, once again my deepest apologies and no, I really wasn't pissed, I'm just old. I'll admit I'd also forgotten some of the rituals that go with seeing a favourite band live too, like the various workings of Murphy's Law as applies to concert going. Rule one, of course, is that no matter how good a spot you get and how early, precisely 10 seconds before the band starts, some bloke coming in at about 7 foot will park himself directly in front of where you're standing. Rule two is that the place you end up standing, no matter how crowded, will immediately become a public thoroughfare, as though there's a this-way sign hung just in front of you, visible to everyone but yourself. And rule three, and perhaps the most annoying, is the inevitable person standing right behind you who will either spend the whole gig talking loudly to their next-door neighbour, pissing themselves at every little bit of between-song banter from the front man, no matter how inane, or, in decidedly off-key fashion, sing along with every word to every song to demonstrate their deep affinity with the performing act. I'm not going to touch here on Rule 4, the person filming the whole show on their phone, because, well, I actually did a bit of that myself. But it was only 30 seconds or so, Finey, and I figure once you get to my age, you're allowed the odd indulgence. And there was at least the comfort of knowing that I wasn't the oldest person at this show. That became obvious when Tim Rogers at one stage asked if anyone had lost a walking stick. And yes, that really happened. It was a good night all up, but I'm still recovering. From now on, it's strictly the bingo halls and boot scooting classes for me, Finey. Beautifully written, well delivered. That was very good. Thank you. Oh, How's the walking stick? He said, it actually happened. He said, I, can't, I don't think I've ever said this at a gig before. Has anyone lost a walking stick? Um, you know, I've had one day in my life at Tim Rogers, but it was a famous day. What was it? I went to a practice match. Oh, yeah. I ended up sitting... North Melbourne. St Kilda. Yeah, okay. I ended up sitting with a group of people, including Tim. Um, we got on quite well, famously. Yeah. Uh, Lovely guy. He said, let's go for a drink. Yeah. Ended up at the Prince of Wales. Of course. Because um, the band... Who's the band that covers um, Black Betty? Spiderbait. Uh, a spider Spiderbait were playing. Oh, yes. And it was, this must have been a while. This wasn't the... Uh, it was a famous game. Oh, I know why. It was a very famous because, game. Because uh, while, whilst you were drinking with Tim Rogers, certain things were happening at a party last, in Warrandyte. It was the last ever time that Wayne Carey wore the North Melbourne jumper. Correct. Well, it happened that evening after that yeah, practice insane. game. And we were out all night. Yes. Well, there you go. If only you'd known, you could have been onto an exclusive. 
Um, yeah, lovely guy, Tim. Mad uh, North supporter. Yeah, he loves his footy. Loves yep. his footy. Anyway, look, they, they put on a, a ripping show, as, as they always do. It was a great – look, don't take me too seriously. It was a great night, uh, great crowd, really good atmosphere, and uh, – Congratulations to the people at uh, Glen Ira Council for putting that on too. It was a ripper. Um, God, that's that's a, that's the first time that sentence has ever been uttered. Hey, same, same. Stonington, you should take heed, Stonington Council, and and do similarly if you can get acts of that nature. All right, we're going to wrap things up here. Thanks for listening once again. Been a fun, interesting show today, finding. Yeah, plenty of mills gristed, and uh, uh, after gristing those mills, uh, nothing. Helps me recover from doing that like a big, juicy hamburger. And where would I get that hamburger? Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. What a great place to go to get a great feed with great blokes. Interestingly, even though the place is called Andrew's, the two main men there are named Greg. As, as you would be. Hmm. And uh, anyone who may have suffered some irreparable hail damage in that uh, fearsome thunderstorm yesterday afternoon in the southeastern suburbs, of course, they can check out... New builds, thanks to Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. Just look them up. Great builders, highly regarded, and builders to football's royalty in Dyson Heppel, Scott Pendlebury, and Mike Sheehan. Great uh, companies, both great um, partners of the Footyology podcast. Please honour them with your business. And we should also mention a, a near tragedy. What, what a tragedy! Just averted, even though it was a very serious matter with the yellow wiggle. So, ah, oh, yes, uh, Greg Page. Greg, I was just thinking of Greg's, and I thought yes. of Greg Page. So, uh, um, another man saved by a defibrillator. Yeah. So, um, so great, a great, a good result, I believe, as he's um, recovering well. And all credit to the nurse uh, Grace, I think her name was, who yeah. happened to be on hand. So, uh, yes, uh, lovely to see a happy ending to that near tragedy. All right, we'll see you later. And uh, 1971 was our year of choice, so uh, you mentioned it's your turn. Yep, T-Rex. Your album was T-Rex, Electric Warrior. T-Rex used to be Tyrannosaurus Rex. In 1971, they became T-Rex. They became glam rock heroes, and this is their biggest hit worldwide. Get it on. We'll see you next week.